Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, well, thank you for coming this morning. We're in Galatians chapter 6 today. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles there. Last week we looked at uh, leaning in for the purposes of engagement and restoration and community. Uh, this week we look at very specific ways that Paul is going to direct the Galatians to apply uh, the reality of freedom and grace in their lives. So getting more and more application as we go through this. So we'll start with uh, reading through last week's text, verses 1 through 5 in Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So verse 6, we walk into today's text. It says, "Let Let him who is taught the word share. And the the word for share there is an imperative. Uh, It means to communicate or distribute. Share in all good things with him who teaches. And most of you know that we have leaned fairly heavily on Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians as we've gone through this. Uh, and the goofy thing is Gal- Luther's commentary on Galatians is what, Sean? 200 pages long, 250 pages long, somewhere in there? Yeah, it's, it's pretty hefty. Um, you know, four-point font, fills the whole page. It's just, it's really dense. There's a lot of stuff there. He spends... 98% of the book on chapters 1 through 5 and then like 6 pages on chapter 6. He just kind of, he sort of mails it in at the very end. It's like he got tired and just said, okay, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. But embedded in that chapter 6 is this little comment. He said, these passages are meant to benefit us ministers and I must say that I do not find much pleasure in explaining these verses. I am made to appear as if I am speaking for my own benefit. Um, so it kind of makes it a bit awkward. Um, put yourself in Gary or Daryl or Brian's shoes that they were going to get up and explain this verse and say, let him who is taught, that's the people listening, taught the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. So you should share with me. You see where that's coming from? It's a bit awkward there. I feel awkward even talking about it. But uh, Gusick commented, he said, it isn't payment, it's sharing. And the idea here, if you think about, uh, uh, Harry Ironside had a great illustration with the Dead Sea. He's familiar with the Dead Sea over in Israel. Um, it, they call it the Dead Sea for a reason because the Jordan River flows into it, right? And what flows out of it? Anybody know? Nothing. It just, all it does is collects. It collects, it collects, it collects, it collects, it collects. And it's good for floating, <laughs> right? And it's good for your skin. I think it's really good for your skin and for collecting a lot of salt, but nothing actually grows there. You can't, fish don't live there. Because it just collects, it just collects, and it's not good. And the idea here is that if all we ever do is collect information and collect information and collect information and don't ever share with those that are sharing with us, it's not good. You build up a Dead Sea-type life, so we don't want to do that. So we go into verse 7, do not be deceived. This is also another imperative, so do not be deceived. Um, the Greek word is uh, planeo, the, the root word for planets, that's your blank if you're keeping uh, notes today. <clears throat> Planets, the, the Greeks, you know, they, they watched the sky a lot. And they could, they had names for the stars. And then there were these stars that kind of moved around a whole lot. And they called them wandering stars. And the wandering stars is planeo, the planets. So don't be wandering around. Don't be led around. Don't be deceived or seduced. God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Um, so those of you that have been in this class for a while know that I talk about my dad every once in a while. Um, and he retired this school year, um, actually at the end of last school year. I don't know how you say that, but he's not teaching this school year for the first time. Uh, retired in May. He, taught, uh, he was in education for 31 years in the state of Tennessee. He then retired from the state of Tennessee, moved to Georgia, taught there for 10 years, uh, retired from the state of Georgia. They've recently moved back. Uh, they're in Dayton, Tennessee now. And so this is his first time not teaching. And, and he had a lot of uh, quotes that he would use over and over and over again with his classes, as most teachers do. Um, and one of his was Galatians. He would just say the word Galatians. And every kid in every class that he ever taught knew exactly what he was talking about. Because he was talking about, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He used to say, 20 plus years ago, Galatians 6, 7. Because he, he was very specific. Then it just turned into Galatians. Well, this was his way of communicating to a student you are sowing something you don't want to reap. Well, for several years, he ran the bus garage. He was the supervisor of student transportation. If you ever want to get a job in a school system, never take the supervisor of student transportation job. There is nothing good that comes out of that job other than a slightly higher salary than a teacher. Um, this is the person that's in charge of all the buses, right? So you're expected to have all of your employees behave perfectly and deliver all of their product on time every single day without exception. So there's never a time somebody calls up, hey, you know, my kid was delivered on time today. Thank you for that. I, I really appreciate that. Good job. No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. Well, he would do this Galatians things with the guys at the bus garage, too. That's where he worked. And there were several... Um, interesting characters who worked at the bus garage. Uh, one of them, and I still to this day don't know how he got his nickname, his nickname was Hambone. Like ham that you would eat and it fried to bacon and then a bone like in your lip. Hambone, that was his name. He's a rather portly gentleman. Perhaps that had something to do with it, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but Hambone got in the habit when dad would start to do something that Hambone thought was not quite on the up and up. Galatians He'd say it back to him. <laughs> what is this now? You're quoting Galatians back. Yep, be not deceived, be not deceived. You know, there's a bit of a, I probably went into a southern accent pretty heavy right there, right? Yeah. When I think about handbone, that's where I'm going. But, but for me, all growing up, my entire childhood was Galatians, Galatians, Galatians. And this was the message of Galatians, was don't be deceived. If you sow it, you're going to grow it, right? That's just how this is going to work. So, I say all that to say, when I started studying Galatians in depth several months ago, getting ready for this series, and I kind of always chuckled in the back of my mind, I, I, and I told my dad that I was speaking on this, finally, we finally got to Galatians 6, 7 today, and he was really excited about that. He said, finally got to something, that's the point of the whole book right there. I mean, that's it. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll, we'll walk through that, but the more I got to thinking about it, uh, sowing and reaping, if you think about the idea that you've got a good understanding of the gospel and then somebody comes in and starts to sow a different version of the gospel, what are you going to reap? You're going to reap law-keeping, and you're going to reap legalism, and you're going to reap all sorts of things that don't have anything to do with freedom and grace. 
Verse 8, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption or decay or ruin. Does anybody have a different word in your translation there? He will reap, what was it? Eternal what? Eternal life. The phrase right before that, he who sows to his flesh will reap. There we go. Okay. I was going to say, shouldn't be the positive side yet. Yeah. So, yep. I, flipped it. I was like, no, nope, you've got a really bad translation. That's not good. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the uh, Robertson's New Testament word pictures had a really neat quote on this. He said, nature writes in one's body the penalty of sin as every doctor knows. Um, when we go to the doctor, we go to the doctor for a re- generally two different reasons, right? Something's wrong and we want it fixed or... We're checking to make sure that nothing is wrong, right? But we don't go to the doctor just to, hey, doc, how you doing? Just wanted to see you and touch base and I just catch up on your life and, you know, maybe a little Q&A with you today. How are you doing? That's not why we go to the doctor. And every time we go to the doctor, there's some evidence of the ramifications of sin in the world, right? Because how many of you have ever gone to the doctor and every single test they ran was absolutely perfect? Have you ever done that? I have genetically uh, ridiculously good cholesterol levels. It is, it is spectacularly obscene how good they are. <laughs> it really is. Total cholesterol is 117 to 120. It's really good. And if you knew how I ate, it's just not good, right? There's no, there should not be a correlation between the way in which I eat and the cholesterol score that I get. But I go every year for a health checkup at my work. And if I score so many points and am within so many ranges and categories and whatnot, then I get a credit on my health insurance. It's like, that's kind of cool, right? So this is good. So we go, we're checking through, we're checking through, we're checking through. And every single year, without fail, I always get points taken off because my good cholesterol is so low. Because it should be within a certain range. Well, my overall is so low, it can't possibly be within the good range. It's actually too low. And the guy every single year goes, oh, I remember you. Yeah. I hate to mark this every year, but I can't give you credit because it's not, because something's not perfect. It's the reality of sin in the world, right? Sin physically impacts our bodies. If we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap to the flesh. Now, the great thing about this verse is that the next phrase, right, If we sow to the Spirit, if we walk in the Spirit and consciously, intentionally live there, then what happens? Then we reap eternal life. Right. This is the good side of this. Yes. I was just jumping ahead. You were just jumping ahead. I was awake. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. Because that's what verse 9 talks about, actually. And making eye contact. Uh, And making eye contact. Thank you. So verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary or utterly spiritless or exhausted or faint while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So another way to translate this lose heart is to, to relax or to loosen, or here's your blank, to dissolve. To dissolve. Um, this phrase, to lose heart, in the first century was used of a woman uh, in childbirth. And it was the, the portion of the labor where things are exceedingly difficult, but there has been no positive yet, right? So we're, we're going through contractions. We're going through labor pains. Things are not pleasant, but there's no payout. There's no baby yet, right? So 
don't grow weary before the baby is born because it's about to get better. Does this make sense? Um, and, and the same can be true of our work at church, our work in the, our communities, our work in our families. Don't grow tired just because you hadn't heard the cry of the baby yet. The cry is coming. It's coming, I promise. It will get better. There is somebody coming that will make it all right. We cannot get tired going through the... Le- now, the, having not experienced labor, I do not know how bad this is. I only know that they put an obscene amount of medicine in my wife's body, and she didn't care what they did to her. But there were still times with all that medicine that something wasn't right. Ah, I'm holding her hand. I'm like, I didn't know she was that strong. That's kind of scary. Like, that gum, she is stout here. This is amazing. Uh, I need to say, yes, ma'am, in the future. Stout may not be the right word, right? Okay. I'll edit that out of the podcast. Don't worry. Uh, Robin Turnipseed listens to the podcast almost every week, and she came up to me a couple months ago. She said, now, you know that when you say, I'll edit that out of the podcast, that you generally don't, right? <laughs> I should remember to do that. So it's gonna, that's going to get me one of these days. So. Um, so don't lose heart. This is hard. Life is hard. Life is painful, but don't lose heart. We have to push through. Oh, that was bad, wasn't it? That was really bad. Okay, I'm going to leave that alone. Um, so verse 10, this is just going off the rails this morning. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity or seasons or as things pop up, the, the Greek word for this is as things pop up to be able to serve, you go and serve. So you're blank. This is a real theological term here, whack-a-mole. Um, <clears throat> this is whack-a-mole service opportunity. You play whack-a-mole at like Chuck E. Cheese, right? Yeah. Yeah, whack-a-mole is an awesome game. And if you have a kid that needs to go burn some energy, whack-a-mole is the game for them, right? You've got this little hammer, this some type of rubberized mallet, and these little moles pop up out of this game, and you hit them on the head, and every time one pops up, they hit them. Every time one pops up, they hit them. And this is the spirit of the word, at least, of as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. When we see service opportunities pop up, that's when we engage. You see one pop up, that's when we engage especially or chiefly or primarily or mostly to those who are of the household of faith. So we start at home. We start at home. So that's important. So moving into verse 11. C, this is another imperative, with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Now this was a bit unusual. Um, uh, I'm going to try to get the word right. Uh, Amanuensis. There we go. Amanuensis. How many of you know what an amanuensis is? Anybody? Extra credit if you know what an amanuensis is. Double extra credit if you can spell it, because it's, it's like hooked on phonics. It doesn't work for that word. It's not good. Uh, an amanuensis was a personal secretary that was the scribe of someone that spoke. Okay? So in the ancient world, not everybody was a writer, like physically could take a pen and a quill and, or whatever they used to write with on, the, on whatever they used to write on and write things out. That was not everybody's skill set. That was too generic, wasn't it, Albert? Yeah. (laughs) It's okay. I'll edit that out of the podcast, too. (laughs) So so not everybody... I probably won't. So not everybody could do that skill. So they would hire someone, generally a slave, a very well-educated slave. And we think of slaves as as not educated, but in the 
in the first century, the slaves were incredibly well educated in certain households. They, they did all sorts of different things. So they would hire a slave to dictate letters. So the person writing who got credit for writing was actually the person speaking, not the person who physically had the pen in their hand. Okay, does this make sense? So an amanuensis, a secretary, was the person that would do this. Uh, Paul actually has several different opportunities where he describes that, that he added some personal touch in one of his letters. This is one, 1 Corinthians has one, Colossians has one, 2 Thessalonians has one, where he's got these little bitty, and I wrote this, and I'm signing this, and I'm doing this, as opposed to his amanuensis. And, and the idea is that, that I am so personally engaged that I really care that I took the time to do this. Okay. Now, there's been all kinds of uh, speculation about what does the large letters mean. Well, okay, so he could have had bad eyesight. Yes, he could have had bad eyesight, and he could have only written in large letters, maybe. Sometimes when I'm leaving a note for my wife, I will write in big letters the things that are really important. Have you ever done this? Yes? Uh, or for your kids, the things that are really important. Um, sometimes it could be uh, the, the eyesight thing, the, uh, the importance thing. It uh, just could be that Paul wasn't used to writing, and when you do something that you're not used to doing, you don't do it very well. Right? If you were to write your name right now with your opposite hand, generally it's bigger than with your normal hand because you have to take time and you want to see the, the shapes and the curves of the letters. So it could just be he's just not used to it. So, so what's the answer? I don't know, and it really doesn't matter. Okay? That's the point, is that we can speculate all day on this. It really doesn't change the intent of the letter. So verse 12, as many as desire or have in mind to make a good showing in the flesh. This is a scary verse, I think. So who... Who walks around, in t- you don't know anybody like this, do you? Intentionally just trying to put on a good show. Yeah, but we don't know anybody like this, right? And we would never, s- pointing fingers at him? Holy cow. <laughs> Dang, man. That's throwing you under the bus. I'm sorry. Yes, you will. Uh, so has in mind to make a good showing. Um, and, and literally for these people, here's your blank, Christianity was all about a show. It was just just the outside external appearance. Uh, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, right? It's the shiny, woo, the sun is shining off of that. It looks bright and pretty, but inside there's a dead person. Because where do you you keep inside a tomb? You keep a dead person inside a tomb. So as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel or drive or force you to be circumcised. Now, um, there's a problem with this, right? I mean, imagine if uh, Leslie Wells is one of our greeters in the morning here at this campus. <clears throat> Leslie Wells is a, somebody new, walks in the building. Welcome. Good to have you at Stewart Heights this morning. He reaches his hand out, shakes their hand, gives them a bulletin. We could lead you right off into the circumcision room right over here. That'd be great. We're going to make you. What? 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 So when I say it like that, it sounds crazy, right? That's what's happening. They're going to force you to compel you to be circumcised, to submit to this law-keeping that doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It has nothing to do with the gospel. So you're going to compel you to be circumcised. This reminds me of a, uh, a, a quote that I love from Dave Ramsey. He says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. 
right? Because we do. We've all been there. We've, every single one of us has done this. We buy something. Well, why are you getting that? Well, because the neighbors will see it. Okay. All right. Really? Um, this, to me, speaks to me that there are people that don't necessarily have my best interest at heart that can have a powerful influence on my behavior. Right? Because these law keepers that were trying to infiltrate the gospel and tack on and bolt on law keeping to the gospel did not have these new believers best interest at heart but they were having a powerful influence on their behavior so verse 12 so as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ wow you say well what is that supposed to mean so the Roman army the Roman empire had religions that they tolerated. Okay? There were religions that were acceptable. There were religions that were unacceptable. The religions that were acceptable did not infringe upon the Roman army's goals. Okay? Because it didn't make sense that you would allow a religion to flourish in a place that's going to eventually lead to my usurpation of authority. That's, that's not good. Right? So... There's a good religion list. There's a bad religion list. Judaism was on the good religion list. If you were a Jew, okay, we're going to allow Judaism to occur. There's going to be all kinds of constraints around it, but we're going to allow Judaism to occur. Christianity was on the bad list because Christianity was about Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. This is a real problem for Caesar. Okay? Caesar doesn't like that. Caesar wants to be Lord. He doesn't want Jesus to be Lord. So these Jewish infiltrators into the church that are trying to force the new believers to be circumcised, well, circumcision was the sign of the fact that you are a Jew. This is, if you need evidence, I don't want to go through any type of inspection here, but if you need evidence, this is the sign that you're a Jew. Okay? So if the Roman army is not going to persecute the Jews and they are going to persecute the Christians, well, let's be safe over here. We'll just keep this little part of the law. It's okay. It's all right. It's not going it, to... It'll be all right. And then you can be safe and I can be safe and we can go to worship church and we'll all be safe and it'll be okay. And the reality is that's law-keeping and that's not okay. Does this make sense? So this is a way for everybody to stay safe from the government. I hate it for you, but the government decides that they want to do things that are antithetical to the Scripture. We better be true to this. This is this is not an opportunity. So, so how can we how can we maneuver? How can we manipulate? How can we change in order to be not persecuted by the government? No, 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 no. Persecution should never influence our behavior, our thought process on what we are doing on a day to day basis. It should never. If we get persecuted, we get persecuted. If we don't, we don't. Okay. That's a hard thing to say. Well, it's actually, it's an easy thing to say today. Fifty years from now, it may be a very difficult thing to say. Five years from now, it may be a very difficult thing to say. I don't know. But the quote from Barclay here is that circumcision would keep them safe from the hatred of the Jews and the law of Rome alike. And, and to be honest, and I think I've talked about this several times, law-keeping can give a false impression of being safe. Right? I feel good about myself. I feel comfortable here. I've got my list. I'm checking off. I'm, I'm good to go. And the reality is the law comes and it points its finger and it says you're guilty. 
And grace comes along and it lends a hand and it says, I'll help. I'll take you and put you. Remember we talked to the Green Meadow time. I will, I will take you and I will put you to a place that is safe, that is better, that is not law-keeping. You remember that? Um, so, so this idea that, that we feel safe in the arms of the law is true sometimes, but it's not good. So verse 13, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. What? How do you think that made the Jews feel? <laughs> Whoa, time out. He just insulted me. Yep, he did. He did. And if you read through the New Testament and you think Jesus never insulted anybody, you probably want to read through it again because there was a lot of this going on. It was very clear. It was very blunt. It was boom. Here's truth. Verse 13, For even those who are circumcised, for not even those who are circumcised, keep the law. But they desire or have in mind to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You want to brag about somebody else. Verse 14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I read something from Bruce this week that was, it was new to me from a, uh, a data point in the New Testament. He said the word crux, that's the Greek word for cross, was unmentionable in uh, polite Roman society. Even when one was condemned to death by crucifixion, the sentence used was an archaic wording which served as sort of an unlucky euphemism. Hang him on the unlucky tree. They would not even say crucify in polite society. They would say hang him on the unlucky tree. Because cross was just, you, you didn't associate yourself with the cross. Why would you want to talk about the cross? The cross is, the cross is not for me, right? Because I am dignified, right? I saw, uh, oh, Brother there this last week. You know this, this movie, right? Um, what's the main character's name, George Clooney's character? His name is, somebody help me out. Um, anybody remember? Nobody Emmett? Yeah, the Dapper Dan, right? There we go. That's not his name, but that's his uh, hair treatment. Um, and he wanted his ha- You know, they're on the run from every known police agency in the state of Mississippi. And what's he worried about? He's worried about his hair. Because I've got to be dignified. Do you have hair nets? I'm going to sleep in a hair net. So when I wake up, it looks good. When I wake up in the middle of the night and have to run out of the barn that's on fire, it'll look good. Because that's what I'm worried about. It's about the appearance. Everett McGill. Everett McGill. There we go. Thank you. Uh, the little Warby girls. That's right. So, so when Paul says here in verse 14 that God forbid that I should boast except in the cross, he's saying the one thing that I can't even talk about in polite Roman society is what I'm going to boast in that somebody else did for me? Whoa, time out. This is completely completely backward. Um, Paul identified himself, here's your blank, with the cross of Christ, not with the world. And this is, this is subversive stuff. By whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Ironside said that the cross of Christ is the measure of man's hatred to God. If you really want to remember and think about what the world feels about God and what the world feels about Jesus Christ, look at the cross. Right? If you want to know what the world thinks of Jesus, look at the cross. And if you want to know what Jesus thinks of the world, look at the cross. Because the world put him on a tree and killed him. And he submitted to being put on a tree and being killed. It's amazing. 
It's absolutely amazing. Ironside goes on, he says this, when Paul says, I glory in the cross of Christ, he means this then, I accept the cross of Christ as my cross. I accept his death as my death. I take my place with him as one who has died to the world, to sin, and to self. And henceforth, I am not under the law, but under grace. Law crucified my Savior. He met its claims upon that cross, and now, having satisfied all its demands, I am delivered from its authority and am free to walk before God in grace, seeking to glorify Him in a life of happy obedience because I love the one who died there to put away my sin. That's just beautiful. So he identified himself with the cross of Christ. Verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails or has any power, has any strength. Neither matters. It's, Paul's wrapping this whole letter up and he's going, Do you not understand? Neither of those matters anything but a new creation. There's a new creation. Do you know you're a new creation? You are. You're absolutely new. Um, let me tell you some new things that you got when you got saved. You got a new master. You got a new identity, a new mind, new desires, new emotions, a new community, a new power, a new freedom, and a new life. Your new creation. Now, I didn't say you're going to feel like it every single day, but you're going to be it. There's a difference between feeling it and being it, right? So you say, Jim, what's the point? Well, my dad would be upset if I didn't put this in. So number one, reaping will occur. This is not a Hunger Games reference. It's, uh, reaping will occur. So what do I do? Well, on the personalized, so intentionally. Because right? what you plant will come up. And there will be more of it than what you planted. And it may not be harvested at the time that we want. So, so reaping will occur and so intentionally. Number two on the application, the cross of Christ is the source of our freedom. So identify with that cross of Christ. And then number three, freedom for life is found in Christ. So let's go back through this text real quick. I'll be done in two minutes. Let him who taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. We have the opportunity to sow walking in the Spirit. That's freedom. Verse 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. We have the opportunity, the freedom to do good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. We have the freedom to do good to all, especially to those of the house of the faith. Verse 11, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh. We have the freedom to not be all about the show. These would compel you to be circumcised. Uh, we have the freedom not to be compelled to be circumcised. This is good. Only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. We have the freedom from keeping the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have the freedom to boast in the cross of Christ. The thing that makes no logical sense whatsoever to boast in. I have the freedom to boast in that. And it's not my doing. It's Jesus' doing. By whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. I have the freedom to be 
a new creation. So you say, so what do I do with that? Be free. Be free. Don't live in the law. Be free. There's a reason I titled this series Freedom for Life because this is about freedom. It is not about bondage to the law. Next week is our last week in Galatians. I'm excited about the next thing that we're going to be doing, but I'm kind of sad to see Luther go for a while. So we'll see if he's got any commentaries on other books. But. Uh, so at your tables, uh, if you'll make sure you've got written your prayer requests down, that you've got uh, your names of everybody that was here at your table, and make sure the breakfast bucket goes around. It's not been making its way around to all the tables lately, so if we could do that, that would be great. And then uh, you're dismissed and free to go. Thank you much, guys. Thank you.